Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Jojo Rabbit. Caging Skies was written by Christine Lunens and was published in 2004. And the film adaptation, Jojo Rabbit, was directed by Taika Watiti and came out in 2019. And this is a patron-requested episode. Our patron, Ertha, asked us to do this episode. I think, um, you know, they had recently watched Jojo Rabbit, saw that it was based on a book, and thought it would be a perfect adaptation for us to discuss on the podcast. Yes, and it's a good reminder that if you have an adaptation you've been dying for us to do, Mm -hmm. uh, the best way to fast track that (laughs) is uh, become a patron. Yeah. Because then we have to listen to you. Yes, and we do patron recommendations all the time. Yes, constantly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll read your, if you have thoughts on the adaptation, we'll read them in the episode. So, uh, you know, just just a quick plug up front (laughs) for our uh, Patreon. Yes. And so Jojo Rabbit was pretty popular and famous when it came out in 2019. Mm -hmm. But like the book is a lot less well known. And Taika Waititi ended up winning um, an Oscar actually for this film for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, and we actually watched some of the special features of the film. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because he says kind of up front that his mother was reading the book, told him the general plot. Yes. And that immediately got him intrigued and thinking about an idea with that premise. Yeah. Also, this movie was kind of in or the script was written and it was kind of in this developmental limbo. Yes. For a long time. And Taika was actually interested in making this in like 2011. Yeah. When he first wrote the script, the Mm -hmm. script, although it wasn't. Be, I mean, and this was before a lot of movies. This was before um, What We Do in the Shadows, yeah. which is a film that really got him kind of recognized as a comedic director and writer. Definitely. And so it was kind of in developmental limbo for a long time. The script ended up on the blacklist, is it called? Yeah. Which is scripts that are considered very well written but haven't been made mm-hmm. for various reasons. So people were aware of it, but I think it took him a while of like, doing other films, gaining recognition for other projects before. Because I'm sure even, you know, in script form, people could tell this was a higher budget concept. Yeah, and also kind of a very different type of story. Yeah, and kind of, well. a, I don't want to say boundary pushing. I mean, people have been making fun of Hitler and Nazis for a long time. But, yeah. I mean, as far as, like, approaching a story about, like, a young child mm-hmm. in Nazi Germany and kind of creating a sympathetic character out of that. It is inventive in that way, so. For sure. And it is also exciting for us to be doing a Taika Waititi adaptation because we're huge fans of his work. Yes. Have been basically since we started watching his stuff since What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. Really Hunt, loved Hunt for the Wilder Hunt People. Hunt for the Wilder People's <laughs> fantastic. Thor yeah. Ragnarok is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his recent show, Our Flag Means Death. Yeah. Phenomenal. Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like, he has very few misses, namely mm-hmm. the most recent Thor, but that's fine. We'll, for- we'll forgive him for that. Uh, but he's always a director and writer that I'm always interested in what he's going to do next. Yeah, and he has such a really unique and sharply funny comedic style. Yes. I also want to mention that this book has an interesting publication history. So this came out originally in 2004. But it did not come out in the U.S. in 2004. Yeah, it probably because it was written originally in. It, ca- it came out in, in French. In French. OK. But Christine Lunens lives in New Zealand. Yes. But is from the U.S. 
and she wrote it in English and (laughs) wanted it to be published in the U.S. No U.S. publisher would accept it. Mm. And so then her agents actually found a market for her in France to publish it, but it was translated. So it's original. So wait, so it was originally written in English. Yeah. And then they were like, nobody wants it. We have to translate it into French. So they got a translator to translate it in French. They published it in France. And then I think some other countries published it. So there are other translators. And then it wasn't until the movie was being made, 2019, that this edition, the the edition that we are reading, Mm -hmm. came out in the US in the English version. That's really funny because... (laughs) Uh, what does this remind you of? Oh, well, Legally Blonde. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Which is so funny because we read that exactly a year ago. I know. First episode of 2022 was Legally Blonde. <laughs> this is our first 2023 episode. There are parts of the book that read very strangely. And I was literally thinking, because based on something like a blurb on the book cover, I thought it was translated into English from its original language. So I was like, maybe there's like a translation thing. Mm-hmm. No. There's not. (laughs) Very interesting. Okay. (laughs) So that's that's kind of a little bit of the background on it, which is very odd. And I mean, it kind of makes sense that um, Taika and, you know, had heard about this through his mom, because I'm guessing there's more of a like international book market in New Zealand than we have here. America's book market. It's really like really very specific to only English language books. And if something is from, you know, another country, like nobody can read it and it's like a different language. Well, like, it has to be translated to English. And interesting that she's a New Zealand author and Taika Waititi's from New Zealand. Yes. So I don't know if like her book was more pushed or because like... she was a local. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, interesting publication history. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into this story first by discussing the setting, because the setting is different between the book and the movie. Yeah. The book is set in uh, Austria, mm-hmm. in Vienna. Mm-hmm. So not Germany. Yeah. But the film is set in an undisclosed town or city in Germany. Yeah. I think the book actually gets into some interesting background information on Austria. And I did appreciate these aspects of the book that talked about Austrian life before the war, Austrian life during the war, and then Austrian life post-World War II as well. But the book does bring up interesting points in the fact that Austria actually voted to join Germany. Yeah. So Germany did not invade Austria. And in fact, Germany and Hitler was extremely popular in Austria, and most people were excited about this yeah of course we have uh the sound of music i was just thinking i'm like sound of music takes place in austria doesn't it because not all austrians ian not all all austrians obviously supported the nazis and this is the same in uh johannes's family who is the main character of uh this story but very interesting to kind of take this perspective not being in germany itself but being in austria where the Nazi fervor was very high and there's a lot of support. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the film briefly here because mm-hmm. the setting, it being in Germany, Taika Waititi has talked about this, that he wanted to avoid a lot of common tropes of uh, war movies, specifically World War II films, which is always that like a drab, dusty, <laughs> monochromatic European town yeah. that is just like looks awful to live in right Mm -hmm. because he said in reality when he researched it he said germany was a very kind of trendy 
art focused, stylish, vibrant, vibrant mm-hmm. like area. And he really wanted to reflect that. And I love this decision because it feels weird, but in a good way where, you know, you're seeing this like kind of vibrant, beautiful little town. Mm-hmm. Very picturesque. Yes. Lots of colors on the buildings. The people are wearing colorful clothes as well. Like it feels like a very fashionable and kind of up and coming city. Which is Interesting, too, because, I mean, the one thing the Nazis kind of knew what they were doing with was, like, the the design and aesthetic mm-hmm. of their uniforms and their branding and their propaganda and the yes. film and, like, that art marketing mm-hmm. kind of aspect that they pushed. I mean, there are things that they did, especially, like, with film that had never been done before, right? So, like, yeah. it kind of makes sense that it would be a very art-focused community in that way or at least thinking about aesthetics heavily yeah yeah. and so yeah it's unsettling that it's like so cute and quaint and then there's just nazis roaming around yeah (laughs) (laughs) it does make it feel more real less black and white sepia old photograph yes feeling for sure um we're gonna kind of take this in chunks because the book and movie are so drastically different so we're just gonna talk about the book for a little bit here johannes is the main character when we begin the story he's maybe like 12 or so Yeah, he's very young. He's joining kind of like the Hitler Youth Program, and um, he he has – his family is his mother and father, and his grandmother is still living with them, and he has had a sister who died of diabetes recently. Yes, and he's kind of quickly – at first, he's just fascinated by Hitler Mm -hmm. and the Nazi party because he just sees people, like, in crowds and, you know, uh, speeches by Hitler, and Mm -hmm. is just drawn to that, and then, of course – as Nazism becomes more becomes more prominent in the country, like they start teaching it in schools, he starts yeah. to become indoctrinated, starts learning all these lies about Jewish people mm-hmm. and the Aryan race. And it's really fascinating at the beginning because he starts coming home and spouting this stuff off to his parents, right? Yeah. And his parents, his dad especially, does not agree with it. Mm-hmm. But there's also kind of this weird conflict because at some point he overhears his mom talking to his dad about saying, don't argue with him because they'll ask him at school. Yeah, what your parents are talking about. Yes, Mm -hmm. and he won't know when he answers that he's like ratting us out, but he'll be informing them about us. Mm -hmm. So we can't fight him here. And essentially like this weird dynamic and trap. Yeah. And they're like kind of at the mercy of their own young child. Mm -hmm. It's It's interesting. Yeah, it really is. There's also a scene where he and his dad kind of have this argument about religion. Yeah. Which is interesting because at least in this scene, it's almost painted as if Nazism is mainly atheistic and doesn't believe in God. Yeah. And, you know, I looked into it and I just don't think this is really true at all. Mm. Any way you bend it. I mean, I I, I think what I ended up looking into because I didn't it took me a minute to even realize that this was in Austria because this was early, very early in the book. Yeah. So I think I was looking at more stuff about uh, Germany, but I'd be surprised if Austria was like drastically different. Yeah. In Germany, they were overwhelmingly Christian, right? Mostly Protestant, um, but also a lot of Catholics, too. Yeah. And they kind of in this book paint this picture that. The Germans or or the Nazis were atheists and they were kind of waging a war against all religion. There was a lot of conflict mentioned about them and Catholic churches. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johannes quickly becomes an atheist over this and gets in a fight with his dad. And 
I just, from everything I've read, yeah, not every Nazi was Christian, but they certainly weren't going to try to turn people away from Christianity. They tried to utilize it. Yeah. Like, they kind of tried to, at one point, create their own church in a way that really focused on, like, an Aryan Jesus Mm -hmm. and, like, forgot, like, the Old Testament stuff of the Bible, but there was pushback against that. And so, like, there was some push and pull, but this book really paints it, this idea that the Nazis were anti-Christian as well. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's weirdly misleading. Yeah. Like, they weren't. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the stuff about the Catholic Church was given as much time in the book as the Night of Broken Glass. Yeah. Which was just briefly mentioned in a paragraph. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so... It's not equal. It's not. But, yeah. like, the amount of attention it's given in the book is equal between prejudice against the Jews and Catholics. So kind of a weird start that already had me like looking stuff up. Mm -hmm. You're like, I don't quite trust. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not an expert on World (laughs) War II, but this doesn't sound right. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on and start talking about the movie and the beginning and the setting and kind of uh, what's going on in the movie. The main character of the movie is always referred to as Jojo. So we're going to talk about when we talk about the movie, it's Jojo. When we talk about the book, it's Johannes. Yes, because they are also extremely different characters. (laughs) Uh, One of the biggest differences in the book, Johannes grows up throughout Mm -hmm. the story, whereas the film, obviously, Jojo is 10 years old the whole time. So that's a huge difference is you have this like childlike innocence. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's younger in the film than he ever even is in the book at any point. Yeah, exactly. And a little bit of a similar family situation. Um, His father is away, possibly fighting in the war, possibly deserted, unclear. So he lives with his mom, Rosie, and um, his sister has recently passed away as well. Yeah, do we ever get a reason or explanation? I didn't think so. I was kind of trying to listen for it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, and one of the biggest differences immediately that we're clued into in the first scene is that Jojo has an imaginary friend (laughs) that is Adolf Hitler. I love the reveal of this. Him just (laughs) like talking to himself in the mirror and then you just see a man with a swastika on his arm pacing in the background. Yeah. And then Taika kind of brings himself down into the mirror and it's... He's he's Adolf, you yes. know. <laughs> I love that he's giving him a pep talk. Yeah. And he's kind of psyching him up and he's like, You're super cool, man. And yeah. he's like, give me a Heil Hitler. Heil me. Heil me. <laughs> throw it away. <laughs> throw, throw, throw one away. Yeah, it, it, it's a great introduction to this because this concept is like really absurd. Mm-hmm. But I love this idea of representing what Jojo imagines not only Adolf to be, mm-hmm. but... What Nazism what, yes. is to him. Yeah, and we didn't mention it, but, like, the whole opening of the movie oh, is... Oh, God. You know, this German-language version of the Beatles song, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm-hmm. And instead of these screaming teenage girls in the crowd at a Beatles concert, it's these screaming children at Nazi rallies. This was... A such a genius way yeah. to begin this movie. I think it's really chilling. And yeah. when I see it, I, I honestly got like goosebumps kind of watching it. Yeah. Because when you see people and this footage of how people were at these Nazi rallies, how just swept up in it they were, and to see kids 
You know, and you know that they're being manipulated, right? They're just kids. There's no way for them to be able to make a logical decision. They're just not there yet intellectually. So to see them caught up in this and how they're being brainwashed, it's just so upsetting. Yeah, and just the idea of comparing it to a Beatles concert through only the music. And the fact that they had this German version (laughs) of a Beatles song. Love it. I mean, like your brain just makes that connection. And it also puts you in the mindset of, you know, this is something exciting to it's young cool. people. Yeah, it's fun. It's cool. All their friends are doing it. Yeah, that's how it is for the children of the time, right? If you'd had like chilling music over top yeah. of this imagery, you'd be like, what the fuck are these kids doing? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But like, you get it in a way watching this. Yeah, and you understand why JoJo is excited about this, right? He is like going to like a summer camp, basically, where they're teaching him how to be a soldier and he gets to wear a uniform. And all his friends are there, and he gets to feel important, right? Because Hitler needs every child involved, and the messages are very much like, we need you to help our country. We are such an important race that your perspective, your blood is so important to this cause. I mean, it's really hitting all the buttons for kids, you know, making them feel special, valued, important, and like they have a role to play. And also bringing in this communal bonding experience he's having with other kids, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're creating this fun summer camp atmosphere, but indoctrinating the children at the same time. I mean, it's uh, horrible, but obviously so (laughs) effective in a way. Yeah. This is very like Moonrise Kingdom-esque in this part. I mean, people have, yeah, definitely compared this film to Moonrise Kingdom, both in its aesthetics and it being a coming of age story for Mm -hmm. a child this age. And yeah, yeah, I mean, the comparison is valid for sure. Yeah. They're doing fun stuff like playing Capture the Flag. Burning books. Yeah. Throwing knives. Throwing knives. I love the one moment. He has a good friend, Yorkie. Yeah. And Yorkie throws a knife against a tree trunk and it just bounces off and stabs a kid. <laughs> Little hint for later about yes. things bouncing off trees. Yes. I thought that was such a funny little moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, at night, Jojo and Yorkie staying up and, mm-hmm. and chatting about Jews and like what they would do if they found one and they yeah. take him to Hitler and <laughs> yeah so just a really great introduction to this setting yes and then we have this scene where Jojo is kind of being picked on by the older kids and they're being told that they have to kill a rabbit to prove that they're worthy and that they are soldiers for Hitler's army right um, this is a scene that actually happens in the book but it involves ducklings Oh, God. Yeah, I forgot about the ducklings Where they have to kill the ducklings. But Jojo is unable to kill the rabbit, and he tries to get the rabbit to escape, but the rabbit doesn't hop away fast enough. It's so sad. Yeah. And they kind of turn on Jojo. And, I mean, Jojo, he's, like, in the youngest tier of kids at this camp. So, like, the kids picking on him are, like, full-grown teenagers, and they start comparing him to a rabbit, thus the name of the movie and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And Jojo, being so embarrassed, takes off into the woods. And here he runs into Adolf again, <laughs> who gives him yet another pep talk. Yeah. Taika Waititi <laughs> as Adolf oh is just, I mean, phenomenal. He's so good. He's just so wacky. And just his whole costume and <laughs> attitude, like, it's just so funny. And it's worth mentioning, too, part of, you know, I mean, I think, Taika had a lot of reasons why he wanted to make this film, but also part of the reasons he wanted to play Hitler were, I mean, he knew he was going to take a comedic approach to it, Mm -hmm. but Taika's half Jewish too. Yeah. And so he was kind of like, this seems fitting that someone who's part Jewish would play Hitler. Yeah. (laughs) 
And he's also famously said that, like, he didn't do any research on Hitler because he's a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he doesn't deserve He doesn't research. care. Yeah. And it fits. I've read this, the, like, I've read this, too, that people say it fits thematically because he, he does things like eat meat and yeah. also smoke. And these are things that Hitler didn't do. Yeah. But they said it's kind of a reflection of Jojo's, like, knowledge of Hitler that he really doesn't know that much about him. Yeah, it's very much Jojo's perspective. Yeah. And filling the needs of Jojo at this time. He needs pep talks. He needs a friend. He needs to feel important. And that's what Adolf is doing for him. Yes. So Adolf psychs him up. Yeah. He's going to go back. He's going to show them what he's made of. He (laughs) runs into the older boy's training area, grabs a grenade... Proceeds to throw it into the woods where it bounces off a tree right back at him and blows him up. Yeah. And this is where he sustains some injuries. We see this very uh, surreal hospital scene (laughs) where he has some damage to his leg and also some scars on his face. Yeah. So uh, maybe not as bad in the book. We'll get to that. But he is kind of scarred both emotionally and physically from this incident. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the book. Yes. Let's get back into it. Yes. Johannes is 17 now. A lot of time passes. Yeah. And he's actually been in involved in the war. And this is where he gets his injury in the book. Yeah. I, uh, the city that they're in, Vienna, is being bombed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're, they're kind of in, in deep in the shit, right? Like bombings every night. And he is a part of like a team, I think, that's like transporting munitions and yeah. you know kind of running around the city and this part was kind of surreal and vague and i'm not like essentially just a bomb blows up near him right yeah and uh boy does he get fucked up yeah his whole face like one side of his face is kind of scarred and limp and then he has also lost part of his left arm i mean like the whole like the whole hand yeah essentially like halfway down the forearm yeah and he is really messed up from this Mm -hmm. he is bedridden for a long time and it's kind of interesting i did like this part in the book where his grandma is sick at the same time Mm -hmm. and they the family kind of thinks the grandma's gonna die yeah and he's really in bad shape but he manages to go downstairs to the grandma's room Mm -hmm. and kind of just like gets in, in bed next to her yeah and they both kind of like recover together keep each other alive yeah are able to talk and Mm -hmm. kind of like encourage each other to eat and walk again and move and they kind of like both recuperate at the same time yeah i liked this moment yeah Mm -hmm. but there's some other stuff going on now that he's home uh because he's been away doing war stuff for a long time and now that he's finally back he's like it's kind of weird at home now like my mom seems like on edge all the time she's always kind of rummaging around upstairs and like, he catches her doing really weird things. He hears strange noises in the house. He thinks she's sick also. She's looking thin. And she tripped down the steps one night, taking a chamber pot down the steps. Mm-hmm. And he's like, is she using a chamber pot, like, upstairs? Yeah. Like, is she really? And you know what's funny is I kind of forgot the premise of this story. <laughs> so, like, I was fooled by this. I'm like, yeah. oh, is she sick? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, it's obvious in hindsight. But, like, yeah. I kind of wasn't even thinking about that yet. But... The mom is acting weird, and then, like, he hears walking upstairs in the night, mm-hmm. and the dad tells him that his grandma's sleepwalking. Yeah. So all these little weird things are going on. Yeah, he basically kind of figures out by just continuing to keep his eyes and ears open and investigating upstairs that there is a secret compartment in the utmost, like, topmost floor of his house. And he kind of, without even realizing it, like 
comes to the conclusion that there's somebody in this partition. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, it's got to be a Jew, right? Like, who else would be in there? Yeah. And so I'm going to get my knife, and I'm going to kill this Jew. And I, I would like to read this part. Yes, please do. I think this part really sets up the tone that the story is going to take. And I want to note that this is on page, like, 60 of this book, and it's, like, a 300-page novel. So, like, this is <laughs> yeah. where this is starting. Yes. So he has his knife, and he opens the compartment. Stuck in the small space at my feet was a young woman. A woman. I was staring her right in the face as she tilted her head up sideways at me. A mature woman with breasts, whose life was entirely mine, as she looked at me with stifled fear. Or maybe it was only curiosity, a simple wondering as to who her murderer was. I'd even say that out of the corner of her eye, she perceived my blade with resignation, as though whatever choice I made in the next tenth of a second she would accept. She didn't move at all, not even her eyes did, nor did she resist in any way. I was unable to breathe, unable to look away. I brought the knife down upon her in a soporific manner, just to prove to myself I could. By the time it stopped against her throat, I was sickly fascinated. I knew at that moment that if I didn't destroy her, Jew that she was, she would destroy me, yet the danger was bittersweet. It was like having a woman as a prisoner in my own house, a Jew in a cage. Somehow it was exciting. At the same time, I was disgusted with myself because I failed to do my duty. She must have known the knife wasn't her foe anymore because tears welled up in her eyes and she looked away, stupidly exposing her neck. I closed the panel and left. A woman with breasts. Yeah, I think this encounter really encapsulates where the story is going to go from here, which is that he is excited by the idea that she is trapped in his house. Yep. And that's basically the story. It's only going to get (laughs) so much worse than you can even imagine. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's funny because I knew things escalated very rapidly from here Mm -hmm. with their relationship. But even in that paragraph or two that you read where he's like, I was excited by this. Yeah. Having a woman as my prisoner in my house. A woman with breasts. A woman with breasts. (laughs) Real breasts. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, just what? Uh, I, I don't even know what to say <laughs> at, at this point. I'll have so much more to say later. But. Yeah. Uh, also, at this time, like you said, the bombings are intensifying. And at this time in the book, uh, Johannes's father is taken in for questioning and then sent to a work camp. Unknown reason why he's sent there. Uh, we don't really find out the truth in the book about this. And Johannes actually kind of ends up blaming Elsa for his father being sent to this work camp. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of mysterious deaths and disappearances in this story that Mm -hmm. are kind of, you know, you're wanting answers to, but you don't get. Oddly handled. Yes. (laughs) Let's go back to the let's go back to the film. Yes. So at this point in the story, Jojo is Back at home, he's he's still recovering from his injuries, right? Mm-hmm. And he hears a noise upstairs. Yes. He goes to investigate. I love the way he finds the panel that mm-hmm. moves because he sees like the way it kind of scratch cut, on the floor. The scratch on the floor. I love the way this scene is handled. He <laughs> he goes into the crawl space, discovers Elsa, and he's terrified. He scrambles out and he looks back at the door. And I love 
Elsa's hand just coming around. <laughs> it's very horror. Yes, it's very horror. Yeah. Which, I mean, puts you in JoJo's mindset, right? Yeah. And he sprints downstairs, and he looks up the stairway, and her hand, I love it's just her hand. Like, creeping down. Like, stepping, the finger, finger stepping down the, the banister. <laughs> and he tries to make a run for it, but she catches him. Yeah. She's very aggressive in this scene and ends up taking his knife from him. <laughs> yeah. And threatens him and saying, like, hey, if you tell anyone about this, I will literally cut your head off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and just, I mean, really, I love that she's able to just just dominate him physically. He can't yeah. really do anything against her and mm-hmm. just her instilling the fear of God in him. <laughs> and so she kind of goes back upstairs and th- there's a few more scenes. I love Jojo goes back up with a kitchen, <laughs> a, knife. A kitchen knife and he's standing outside the door trying to like negotiate with her mm-hmm. to get her to leave only to discover that she's just behind him she's not even in the crawl space yeah she takes that knife too and i love when he's back downstairs discussing this with his imaginary friend adolf yeah and adolf's like she has two knives now you have to stop <laughs> giving her knives <laughs> How are you gonna chop things up <laughs> yeah i love this like it's not cat and mouse but kind of this push and pull between them but mm-hmm. they eventually or he at least eventually comes to the realization that they're kind of at a, uh, what he calls a Mexican stalemate. And what Elsa says is just a regular stalemate. Just a regular. <laughs> but he does say, like, okay, you know, I won't tell anyone about you because, you know, I don't want my family to get in trouble. And you obviously don't want me to tell anyone because you don't want to be caught. So we'll just not tell anybody about anything. And they also agree not to tell the mom that um, he knows about her. Yes, because they're both worried that the mom would just send Elsa away because she doesn't want to put Jojo in any kind of a risk. Yeah. But later on, Jojo kind of has this idea, too, that Elsa can help him do an expose on on (laughs) Jews. And so he starts writing uh, a book that is uh, kind of a definition and, and... Explanation. Explanation. On I was trying to think of another word besides expose. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I love this because he starts questioning Elsa about mm-hmm. all of the powers that Jews have. And, and Elsa. Hypnotism. Yes. And Elsa is just like knowing what he wants and like not afraid to just kind of like give into it and pretend, love, pretend I, to be the boogeyman. I love when she says that Jews are allergic to most food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good scene. And yeah that they like shiny things. Mm-hmm. And I just love this kind of like playful dynamic with them because she's not really afraid of him. Yeah. And doesn't mind kind of just like fucking with him. Mm-hmm. Let's talk here a little bit. We haven't discussed it. So, you know, we, Jojo's dad isn't in this film. It's he thinks he's at war, but also he might be a deserter. We don't really know what's going on with him. So it's just him and his mom. Yeah. His mom is played by Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And they have a really interesting relationship in this story. Yeah. She's very free spirited, mm-hmm. I'd say, and also very fun loving. And I think she's actually compensating for Jojo, right? Yeah, yes. Because Jojo is becoming so serious and intensely focused on Nazism. And she feels like she has to try to pull him in the other direction back towards his childhood. Yeah, there's a great scene where they're walking along the river, kind of on a sidewalk, and he's walking on the ground, and she's walking up along the wall. Yeah. And this serves two f- purposes, right? First, it gets you to look at her feet. Yes. And so her shoes. So you recognize her shoes. Yeah, so you're very much 
paying attention to her shoes. But I also just love this, the fact that, like, she's doing the thing that's very childlike, walking along the walls. Yes. While Jojo is kind of almost, like, in the adult position, walking on the ground. Mm -hmm. And kind of creating that visual distinction between them. Yeah, there's a, it might be the same scene or a different one where she, she talks to him and she's saying... You're too young for all this seriousness. Like, you you should be climbing trees. Like, yeah. you should be enjoying your childhood. And, you know, it's not just Nazism. It's the war as well, right? And she talks about... She's always trying to impress on him that, like, love is the most important thing mm-hmm. in the world. And that, like, joy and dancing and art and music and things like this are really important to life. And that war is not the most important thing. Yeah, There's a really kind of iconic scene where they're sitting at the dinner table and they start arguing about politics. Mm -hmm. And once again, I love this. It reminds me of the book to a degree where you have this 10 year old child arguing with his adult mom about war and politics. And she has to be the one to be like, "Okay, let's stop. Mm -hmm. Like she knows she can't uh, bulldoze him on this. Yeah. But then she's so frustrated. She gets up. She smears soot on her face (laughs) and acts like his dad and yells at him and like hits the table. Yeah. And then kind of has this moment to herself where she's like talking between herself and herself and as herself as the dad <laughs> and then comes back to him and is like speaking to him. And it's kind yeah. of a, it's a playful scene, but it's also, I think, really showing her struggles as being a single parent during this ridiculous time. And trying to get through to her son and feeling kind of hopeless. Yeah. Right? It, it is a really cool scene. I love this a lot. I love seeing Scarlett Johansson in a kind of silly role. Yes. We don't see her this way very often. There are also some really great scenes between her and Elsa too where she's sitting with Elsa in the partition and they're talking. She talks about Jojo and saying she's afraid for him and she doesn't know how to change his mind about this Hitler stuff and she feels like he's slipping away. Yeah, I really loved get because I mean these are the only scenes outside of Jojo's perspective, I believe. Yeah. But I think they're so important to round out and f- flesh out Elsa's character and his mom's character, right? Mm-hmm. Like why is the mom doing this and what is her relationship to Elsa? What are Elsa's like desires, right? And yeah. Just kind of like giving you a lot of information about both of their characters. Yeah, I love when she talks about being a woman and all the crazy things you can be and do as a woman and kind of trying to give Elsa hope for her own future. Yeah. And what she could be. And we and we get clued in bit by bit that the mom is involved in some kind of resistance movement. Yeah. Uh, Jojo witnesses her leaving slips out that kind of talk about defying the party, Mm -hmm. you know, the Nazi party, and also her burning those slips later on. And there's just kind of all these hints and clues that she's involved in something, although he's kind of not totally sure what. Yeah, Jojo, meanwhile, has been helping out at this Hitler Youth office. And this is where we hang out more with some of the characters we met at the Hitler Youth camp, namely uh, Captain K, Freddie Frankel, and Rebel Wilson's character, who I don't remember I don't her name. <laughs> she's so ridiculous, but she's so funny. She's in really it. funny. I love it. The Hitler Youth Camp when she talks about like I've had like what eighteen, 18 babies children? for Germany. <laughs> <laughs> she's oh my god, and her just like pointing the gun. Yes, like just pointing with it like at, at anyone and everyone. Constantly. It's so good. 
Yeah. Uh, we have Captain K and Freddie Finkel, who are clearly gay. Yes. And in a relationship with each other. But uh, Captain K, from the beginning, you know, he has this eye injury that prevents him from fighting in the war. But he kind of makes it clear right from the beginning of the movie that he thinks that the Germans are losing the war. Like, yes. he's like, it is hopeless. I'm just vibing right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's kind of losing all faith. I mean, just in the country winning. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can tell that he's just upset because he lost an eye and can't be involved in the action anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he's just compensating with drinking. And But I, I think his character is interesting because this whole movie deals with characters in varying moral gray zones, I think. Yeah. Like, there's, I mean, we don't even have, like, a true Hitler in this story, right? Mm-hmm. It's an imaginary Hitler. But Sam Rockwell's character, Captain K, like, he's a queer man who, I mean, very obviously that uh, goes against, like, kind of Nazi ideology, right? Yeah, and they killed a lot of gay people. Yes. And I I get, like, you kind of have to almost, like, figure out his character, almost, like, on your own, because you're Mm -hmm. like, how am I supposed to feel about this gay man that's a Nazi? And it's it maybe isn't, like, the best executed that it could have been. Yeah. Or maybe it wasn't, like, totally necessary to make him gay if he's going to be a Nazi. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you get the sense that he's a character who is a good soldier. Yeah. That he's good at that as, like, essentially, like, a job. Mm-hmm. And, like, the government at the time was a Nazi one. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I mean, I guess, like, what other choice do I have, essentially? And he yeah. was just kind of, like... Going along with that. And I mean, we see him face repercussions for that later. For so sure. it's not painting him as a hero or anything. He is a multifaceted character. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely complicated. Uh, I do love his kind of costume design for the final <laughs> battle that he's drawing up here. I didn't know. <laughs> it's funny, but I'm like, this feels like a little out of yeah. his character to be like drawing this. Yeah, to be drawing it and like be excited. I thought it'd be funnier if like Rebel Wilson like drew it for him or something. Yeah. And then it's almost a surprise later when he's actually wearing it or something. Mm-hmm. I feel like that maybe would have fit more, but it's still funny. Let's get back to the book here. Woo! So as we said, Johannes is 17 in this story. Yeah. And Alice is older than him. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot by how much, probably four or five years. Yeah. And he is into her immediately. Like so quickly. So into her. And thus begins the part of the book where he's just constantly fantasizing about her, obsessing about her, thinking about her constantly. And it really is just so many pages, Ian. Of this. So many of my notes in a row were just about this one topic to varying degrees. So I I, <laughs> I started with um from the part that you read, a young woman, dot dot dot, with breasts. <laughs> followed by he's immediately into her, wants to hear wants her to hear his voice. He talks about like talking loudly when he knew she was like around. You find out she's engaged. Oh God, he's already so jealous and angry, imagining kissing her. He's so horny in all caps. He wants to marry her now, emigrate with her, Jesus fucking Christ. He's doing things to punish her now, putting salt in her tea, soap in her leftovers, because she, like, laughed at him, I think. At one point, he thinks she ran off, and he's determined to find her. She's under the floorboards at one point. They, like, changed her hiding spot, and he imagined... uh, Taking the floorboards off and uh, compared it to undressing her. Yeah. She's literally under floorboards. <laughs> and like, he's like, this is uh, getting me off. So hot. Yeah. He talks about there being like insects under there. 
too. Oh, yeah, Silverfish, right? Yeah. Uh, he does nothing but objectify her. At one point, he lays beside her slash on top of her and literally ejaculates into his pants. That is for real. That fucking happens in this book. He keeps trying to kiss her and she keeps, like, avoiding him. Now, okay, just imagine the situation, right? Imagine that you are a Jewish person in World War II and your whole family is probably being killed, right? Yeah. It's so desperate. Like, luckily, this family agrees to hide you. You're in this horrible position. You're having to hide all hours of the day. You're shut up in darkness, right? It's so scary. You think you're going to die at any moment. And then this fucking German boy, Austrian boy, whatever, literally is trying to sexually assault you all the time. Yep. And this is your only place of safety. You have like, nothing you can do. I just... It, it's it's genuinely horrifying. And it's funny because it, I'm like, this would be a better almost horror story thriller. Yeah. And then I realized, I was like, oh, that's the movie 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is the story of a young woman who wrecks her car and wakes up in this random dude's bomb shelter. And he yeah. tells her there's been an attack. I don't know if it's aliens or what, but like we can't go outside. Yeah. And then it's this whole thing of like, is he lying psychological to me? Psychological thriller. Yeah, psychological. Is he t- lying to me? Is he telling the truth? Do I risk leaving? What do I do? Well, and it would be a much more interesting story from Elsa's perspective, yes. right? Johannes has, like, nothing going on in his life except Elsa. Like, anything, all the questions, all the thoughts about Hitler youth and the indoctrination and, like, how he feels about his country being taken over by Nazism, how he feels about the war, his parents, their involvement possibly with the resistance, and, like, any of those thoughts... Any of those threads that we're building earlier in this book are just completely abandoned yep. for just Johannes to be getting hard all the time thinking about Elsa in the closet. Yeah. I mean, essentially, the premise of this story of a young Nazi boy, young, you know, not in this yeah. story, but like a Nazi teenager forced to hide a Jewish girl in his house during World War II, that set up that premise is only to lead us here, which becomes the story of a woman trapped in this young man's house and their evolving toxic relationship with each other. Yeah. So, like, the World War II thing, the Nazi thing, it's all it's just, just background. It's, it's an excuse. Yeah. It's like a setup for this, which is, like, the real story now. Yeah. And it's a horrible story. It is so depressing and bleak and upsetting. And just to see this character, Elsa who is given no personality and nothing to get us into her mind at all, is just this, like, passive object that's in Johannes's life and is just abused and manipulated and gaslit and, like, it just keeps going. And it's really upsetting. It's unrelenting, genuinely. And Johannes's character, like, the whole his Nazi ideology like you were saying, is forgotten. It doesn't factor into, is he doing the things he's doing because he's a Nazi? Yeah. Like, it just seems like he's a shitty person. The book doesn't really care about that. No, it doesn't explore the Nazi ideology despite having him in a Nazi uniform on the cover of the book, essentially. Mm -hmm. I just don't know. I just don't know, Adina. I don't know what led this author to steer the story in this direction. 
Yeah, his mother ends up dead, which again is like weirdly glossed over. It, it It's just so stream of conscience, like mentions it and then mm-hmm. just moves on. Keeps going. He ends up telling her because the allies invade Vienna and take over and Germany loses the war and Austria is kind of set up as its own independent country again. And he tells Elsa, um, actually Germ- Germany won. Um, so you have to stay here. Yeah. And so that thing that happens in the film, but only for like three minutes at the end of the film, that is like the halfway point. Yeah. Maybe probably before that in this book. Yeah. He begins to lie to her. And then so much of the book is him justifying his own lies. Right. He thinks, well, she probably doesn't have any family alive anyhow. Where else would she go if she wasn't here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I need her and I did all this stuff for her and it's the least she could do to, like, keep me company now. Yeah, it's just about possession and ownership and it's really fucking creepy. In fact, he talks about how he's had to take care of her so now she belongs to him, like, literally in his mind. He tells her that all the Jews were sent to Madagascar and then she keeps wanting to go to Madagascar to be with them until finally he's like... I lied to you about the Jews being in Madagascar. They've all been killed. And then he shows her images of the liberated death camps and shows her actual images of what they found in the death camps, which were just mass graves, all these like piles of shoes and jewelry because of all the gassings. And he uses this to prove the idea to her that all the Jews are dead. You have to stay here with me. There's nothing for you out there. Yep. He also alludes he he basically tells her or convinces her that both of his parents are dead because of her. Yeah. We never really find out at all why the mom was killed. Mm-hmm. I know. Like, it's it's not really... There was that woman that came by the house that was, like, maybe involved in the resistance who left that charm. Oh, yeah. Well, see, I thought she was, like, one of Elsa's relatives. That was my first thought, but then it doesn't follow up with any of that. Yeah, and then Johannes doesn't give the mom the message because he's a pouty child. Yep. Like, I don't know. I think Johannes is probably responsible for his mother's death if he didn't give her that message. Probably. But yeah, it's just really weird. And the plot, like, is not going anywhere at this point and just continues to not go anywhere. <laughs> uh, let's let's lighten things up. Let's go back to the film. <laughs> uh, at this point, similar to the book, Elsa tells Jojo that she's engaged mm-hmm. and to a, a boy named Nathan and yes. how like wonderful and romantic he is. <laughs> and this prompts Jojo to go and <laughs> fabricate a letter from Nathan <laughs> to Elsa. To Elsa, I love this letter so much. He's like, uh, I don't want to marry you anymore. I'm breaking up. I met someone else. We do the tongue kiss. The tongue kiss. <laughs> I am also fat and unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) I love this moment, though, because, like, it really does bother her. And we find out later that Nathan's actually dead. Yeah. And at the time, I thought it was just, like, her own fears about, like, is he moving on without her? Losing him. Yeah, but in reality, we find out later that he's dead. And so she's pissed off, or really just sad, Mm -hmm. and Jojo can see this, and so he immediately goes and fabricates (laughs) another letter from Nathan, retracting the previous letter. Yeah, he's like, I'm still fat and unemployed, but I don't want to break up with you anymore. (laughs) A lot of girls have killed themselves over me, and I don't want that to happen to you. (laughs) These scenes are so funny. I love this, but it is Jojo bonding with Elsa a lot more, and we see a lot of these scenes where the two of them 
are kind of like verbally sparring sometimes about Jews and Germans, right? And fighting over that. But a lot of times they're just talking. Yeah. And I think he's really starting to like her and want to be with her. And this leads to a couple different arguments with Adolf. <laughs> yeah, where Adolf is getting concerned over like his discussions with her. And yeah. I, I just, and you know, this is kind of a growing conflict with Adolf. We start to see him at odds with Adolf more and more. He appears less and less in the movie, which I think is really smart. And I noticed it. This time watching the movie, because I was yeah. paying more attention, but like he's so prominent at the beginning of the movie, right? It's him and Jojo in almost every scene together. Well, and Jojo's lonely yeah. at the beginning, yeah. right? But as like Elsa fills the gaps in his life and mm -hmm. so do other people, like he becomes less necessary. Yeah, we see more of him bonding with Elsa and less of him spending time with Adolf. I think yeah. this really is very smart. Like, strategically in the plot. Well, especially as things escalate and become more serious later on in the film. Like, mm -hmm. to have wacky Adolf, like, running around. Yeah. It reminds me of a Muppet's Christmas Carol. Yes. In the third act when Gonzo <laughs> and Rizzo. are like, hey, we're going to go because this is scary. And also, it's, like, serious now, right? Yeah. So, a similar vibe, right? For sure. Um, we have the scene where he gets the metaphorical butterflies in his stomach, so he knows that he's in love. Oh, this is so cute. I okay, right here. Let's let's talk about it. Roman Griffin Davis, yes, who plays Jojo. Is this the cutest kid ever? I I mean, he's so cute. Yeah, but genuinely. One of the best child performances I can think of. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just hits all of his lines. Like, he doesn't just say his lines in, like, an endearing, cute way, right? Yeah. He really strikes a nuance of, like, every scene. Like, if he's nervous in the scene, he conveys that. If he's yeah. being, like, rebellious or annoying, he hits that. If mm -hmm. he's afraid of, like, Elsa or whatever's going on. I love him writing and reading the letters to her <laughs> and how, like, silly he is in these moments, you know? Yeah. Uh, or when they're arguing together about stuff and he's so fervent in his Nazism, even, you know, the scenes with his mom. It's just, he's a really great actor, and I, I agree. All these scenes are just so... Well balanced, I'd say. I mean, even the part like when he's at the doctor and uh, Rebel Wilson's character, oh, and she's yeah. like straightening his leg and he's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like there's I don't know. I feel like when you watch child actors in movies, even when they're good, there's sometimes a line or a moment where you're like, I don't think they quite got that or like maybe yeah. they couldn't quite handle that complexity of what's going on. Mm -hmm. There's not a single moment in this whole film where you doubt his performance. And of course, he's just so cute looking. <laughs> he's so that I think it his, really helps. His big teeth. I know. Yeah. Yeah. He's phenomenal. It just, he's so endearing. And the scene where he realizes that he might be falling in love or care <laughs> about Elsa is just so sweet. Uh, unfortunately, it is interrupted by the Gestapo at their door. Yes. Oh, what, God, what's... Stephen Merchant. Yes. Okay. Uh, he is so good in this role. This is like basically his only scene in the film. Mm -hmm. But I love that they just play up his height. Yeah. He's, Creepiness, unsettling. He, yeah, he's goofy and funny, but un unsettling too. I heard Stephen Merchant describe his character, and I think this is so accurate, as like a man who before the war was probably just a bureaucrat. Yeah. But now relishes like the fear and attention he gets. Yes. Uh, interestingly, I've heard this referred to before. It's called Everyday Sadists. 
Oh, really? I've never yeah, heard this. I um actually was brought into this term and in the knowledge of this from doing this like training on just kind of dealing with customers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um in this training, which was actually meant to be kind of to help people have compassion for those who may be experiencing homelessness and addiction, which is yeah. something that happens in libraries a lot. The presenter of these trainings talked about how in a lot of situations, there are people in jobs who are everyday sadists, mm-hmm. and they enjoy enforcing the rules to punish people. I mean, that character, that idea, those are some of my favorite villains. Like Umbridge. Like Umbridge, yes. Yeah. Or Nurse Ratchet from yes. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Even uh, Annie Wilkes in Misery. These kind of everyday characters. It's also interesting that those are all women examples. Mm. I do think that's a common female trope. Yeah. Women like evilly taking power where they can get it maybe. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I have to think about that. Yeah, but anyway. I think there's definitely some gender and like misogyny in there for sure. But I do think the idea of an everyday sadist, like we've all met one, right? Yeah. Someone who like, yeah, it's not their fault. They're just enforcing the rules, but they take pleasure out yes. of it, right? And there's a difference between someone who's like, I'm really sorry, but this is just the policy. And like, I don't have any say in mm-hmm. that. I can't, like, I, I wish I could help you more. Is there anything else I can do? And someone who's like, sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? He just loves it. Yeah. You can, you can see it on their smug face, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Merchant kind of plays this perfectly, right? Yeah. And also this scene <laughs> is noteworthy. The Heil Hitler. The Heil Hitler. I read they did it, they said it 31 times. <laughs> oh my god. In this one scene. And then so like he's hiling everybody and then Captain K comes in and then Freddie Finkel comes in. Yes. And then Elsa is in the scene later and they're all hiling. It's great. When it, it it shows the absurdity of these kind of rituals and this like rigid enforcement yeah. of these pointless absurd things that like are kind of seen as a way of like keeping control yeah over people and situations but it's obviously it's an illusion of control mm-hmm. right and it's so silly right it, yeah it's absurd it's ridiculous yeah I it love, doesn't mean anything i love this just highlighting the <laughs> stupidity of this saying right and how yeah. pointless and dumb and annoying it is <laughs> um but they're searching the house right and captain k comes in almost like he's maybe been keeping an eye and trying to help out Jojo, comes in and is kind of around. And Elsa, instead of hiding in her partition area, uh, actually comes out and pretends to be Jojo's dead sister. I love how surprising this moment is when she steps out. Yeah. And then her kind of playing along with the idea and mm-hmm. kind of how smart this is to instead of just be hiding and hoping they don't find you to try yeah. to like be proactive mm-hmm. and trick them, essentially. Yeah. Uh, she's forced to hand over her papers, which she ends up using JoJo's sister's papers. Yeah. She gives them to Captain K. And it seems like he's maybe fooled. Like, he, he's yeah. like, oh, your photo, this is old. <laughs> yeah. And questions what her birthday is. And it's she says it, but only realizes later that she gave the wrong birthday. Yeah. And thus kind of confirming that Captain K is watching out for JoJo and protecting her, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for and sure. I, I like this moment in, to kind of creating this, like, you know, I, I, I hate to say that, like, a Nazi, like, occupies a gray area of morality. But, like, yeah. I mean, to a degree, it's true that he's probably someone who's, like, 
I don't have much control over like who lives and dies, but if I can protect someone, like I, I will. Like I'm not yeah. gonna rat someone out essentially. Mm-hmm. So I, I like this character, and I think Sam Rockwell plays the character great too. For sure. Uh, after this, we have a really tragic scene where Jojo finds his mother dead, hanging in the town square. Of course, we have the shot of her shoes, right? I mean, this is just brilliant, the way this is revealed. Mm -hmm. Just him standing up from a crouching position, and then you just see her shoes. And you just, you just know. You just know. Even, even like, the most unobservant film viewer, Mm -hmm. right, knows in that moment. Even if they don't remember her shoes, clearly there's a significance. Yeah. And Taika has already taken great measures to make sure you see her shoes oh, yeah. right mm-hmm. but even if you weren't actively observing them or even paying attention like you know in that moment right yeah and it's so heartbreaking and i love too he talked about not wanting to show her actually hanging there i like that and i i think that's such a delicate way to handle the scene mm-hmm. you're only seeing jojo and of course he plays this so well he's so devastated mm-hmm. he's hugging her legs he tries to tie her shoe. There's this kind of this running thing throughout the movie where he can't tie his shoelaces. Yeah. And he even can't quite tie the shoelaces for his oh, mom. Oh, God, Adina. Stop. <laughs> it's really, really sad. And he comes home and he kind of, it seems like he kind of blames Elsa for this because he comes at her with a knife. I love the tone and the way the scene is done. Mm-hmm. And he even goes as far as to actually stab her. Yeah. And she kind of catches the knife, but I also don't think he was really trying going the whole way. Yeah. And it's just this like tense, sad, devastating moment. And it's never like she's not mad about it. It's mm-hmm. been him telling her is off screen and we just see a scene of them after standing on the balcony and kind of discussing things. Yeah. She's talking about how Jojo's mom and dad are involved in the resistance and like that his dad might be coming home at some point, but Jojo doesn't really have anyone right now. And then Elsa is also sharing, which she wasn't wanting to share with him before about her family and saying that like, my parents were taken somewhere that you don't come back from. And so they're both now, I mean, Jojo's dad is maybe alive, but that's not even a guarantee. And it Mm -hmm. seems like right now, like they're all each other has. Yeah. And I love this setup, but I will say there, I, I, a minor beef I kind of have with this, and I think it could have been resolved in a single scene, Yeah, is just that Jojo is a 10-year-old boy living on his own, in the, and like seemingly, like nobody knows yeah. about Elsa, so yeah. he's just home alone, and nobody seems to check in on him. I mean, they're being actively invaded at the time. I agree, but- So the timeline, I think maybe- but this is like the most, like people tell him, yeah. like, hey, I heard about your mom. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Like people knew. Yeah. It's not that nobody knew. And I'm like, he's a 10 year old boy and he's alone. Like somebody, a neighbor, a family friend, like someone should have. Yeah. I think like they could have done a scene with like Captain K maybe visiting. Mm-hmm. Maybe he brings like a loaf of bread or something and checking in. Checking in. And, and maybe is like, listen, like, you can stay with me or something. Yeah. And maybe Jojo like turns him down. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just wanted like an indication because almost like I know that the situation of like the city being under invasion, being mm-hmm. bombed, like things are crazy. But like you get a sense in this film that there is a sense of community, right? Yeah. 
And so for Jojo to kind of seemingly be left on his own in this moment feels kind of odd in that way. I agree with you for sure. This is something that I think I recognized and noticed more the first time I watched it. Yeah, maybe I was like more just maybe just knowing about more it. more accepting on the second time. Yeah, but it, it's still a slight issue. And I, I think it could have been easily resolved. Like mm-hmm. it's not that I think it's like, like you were saying, the situation and circumstances are crazy. Yeah. But I think it needs to be kind of acknowledged at least a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So things are kind of bleak, but slightly optimistic at this point in the film. Let's bring things way down, (laughs) way, way down, way down and go back to the book for a bit. Yeah. Uh, What is even happening? Oh, um, Johannes decides to give Elsa a hobby to distract her. So he gets her paints and canvas so that she can do some painting. Yep. And, uh, you know, Elsa's. Maybe struggling a little emotionally at this point. Yeah. Maybe it's a little understandable. Mm-hmm. And she decides to cope with this by just eating all of her paint supplies. Trying to kill herself. Yeah. So Johannes is alarmed and ends up like trying to nurse her back to health. And in the process of this, he's so afraid to leave her because he thinks she's going to die. His grandmother dies because he's not there to bring her water anymore, Ian. At least that's maybe our interpretation. <laughs> she wasn't, like, always in the best of health, so she could have just died. Yeah. But he's also, like, with with Elsa for, like, three days and not tending to his grandmother. And he never thinks about his grandmother until he's like, oh, shit, my grandma goes downstairs and he's like, oh, she's dead. She's dead. <laughs> it's just, like, so weird again and kind of glossed over. And, like... He lets her now kind of go around the house because the grandma's dead and they don't have to keep it a secret anymore. But, like, he makes her walk on all fours downstairs. To, like, stay under the window, like the sight line of the window. But she's just, like, crawling around on the floor. Yeah. So much of this book, Adina, feels so fetishy. It does. And I don't know for who. Yeah. But like. Somebody. It's really, it's like kinky. <laughs> yeah. But in the most fucked up, like the, imagine like the least sexy situation. Yeah. Ever. And then be writing this kind of like somewhat erotic story. Yeah. There's also the scene where he's trying to tell her the truth. Yeah. Because he's like, I need to come clean with her and tell her that. Germany did not win the war and that she's safe now. She can leave. And he's trying to tell her. And this is when she is feeling guilty about how his parents are dead because of her. Because that's what he told her. Um, And she's like, you've been so good to me and I'm so mean to you. I'm so sorry. And she physically stops him from telling her the truth and kisses him. And this is where they actually become lovers. And Ian, this was. One of the worst moments of my life. (laughs) Yep. I mean, you're just watching a woman who's been emotionally manipulated, lied to, gaslit, literally imprisoned in a house at this point for with no justification. War's over. She could leave. She can't, though. And now she is being manipulated into becoming his sex slave. Yeah, it's really messed up. And like. Things continue, and I just I just want to read you some of this. I'm going to, like, skip around a bit, but this whole, it's like a three-page segment where each line is, like, worse than the last. And, and I, I think this is the only way to properly convey how batshit this book I is. I know, I have to read you it. You have to I have to prove it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit A. Okay, so he's saying, 
Elsa, I want our future relationship to be full of truth, honesty, and mutual trust. Oh, how boring. Don't promise me that. Holy Moses. I've lied to you too before. What do you think? Do you think a man and a woman can be 100% honest to each other? Only truth, 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 and more of the boring truth? What do you want to do? Kill all the mystery, the charm? I didn't recognize her face as she spoke these words, nor her manners. She tossed her hand about superficially, not to mention her chin, which had become a double chin so that she was transforming into a spoiled angel before my eyes. Her face had a cynical smirk to it, heavy-lidded and whorish. Sure, such attitudes were taking hold in those days, among the wrong kind of women, seeking their so-called emancipation, but I'd never known Elsa to be that way. More than anything else, though, it was her words that scandalized me. You've lied to me before? Of course I have, she laughed and fluttered her eyelids. How can you expect me to hurt your feelings day in and day out with the absolute truth? Can you imagine how life would be? How did you sleep, honey? Horribly. You snored like a schwin. I could have killed you. Did you miss me? Not one bit. I reminisced the whole while about my first love. Can you imagine how abominable it would be living among the razor-sharp blades of truth? If you could read each other's mind all the time, how would you feel if you knew I'd laid with you, thinking you were another man? So I'm going to skip ahead, but kind of this like whole meditation on like truth and lies. And this is where like Johannes is like, oh, wait, does she know that I'm lying to her? And in fact is like, oh, she definitely knows. And we're like in a game. I mean, it kind of almost implies that, right? Like at a certain point later on, she gains such freedom that you're like, does she know? Yeah. Then she's trying to like turn him on sexually. I probed her genitalia like a gynecologist for the truth. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say it again. I probed her genitalia like a gynecologist for the truth. That was one narrow portion of her that could not lie. It sounds like the worst. (laughs) Like if you're writing like a satirical, like noir detective. Yeah. Who's like really dumb. Yeah. Like that would be the voiceover, right? I probed her genitalia like a gynecologist for the truth. Yeah. And so this is him kind of like accusing her of thinking of other men while she's with him. And I'm going to keep reading. Open your eyes, I commanded. And she did so with that gleaming, whorish face I disapproved of. Look at me, I said. Here at me. Don't you dare. I made her take a good look at my genitals from front view and then profile and applied (laughs) pressure to her temples so her eyes would open wider. My own were hard and menacing. Chase him away or I'll kill you with him. If I catch you transforming a fraction of me into someone else, a fraction Then I prodded her eye sockets with my penis. I am not making this up. (laughs) And then I'm going to just read another paragraph. It all ended up more like wrestling, fighting, hurting than love. When this ugly act of domination or whatever it was drew to a close, Elsa twisted a lock of my hair around her finger and said, I know you love me, Johannes. At times I think I don't deserve you. I'm a bad person. I mean, what can we even go back and reflect on? The probing the genitalia, the poking her eyes with his penis. (laughs) I'm kind of still just like fixated on the fact that he's like, he's like profile view, front view. Like he's just like. (laughs) Back and forth. (laughs) I just cannot, I cannot believe that this book exists. Why? And I mean, like, 
it's painting her somehow as almost being the one who's like emotionally cold. I know. And being like a He's bitch. always talking about her looking whorish and it's so disgusting. I, I mean, like, here's the thing. On one hand, I don't think the book ever is under the delusion that Johannes is like a like a misunderstood guy. Yeah, yeah. But also, why are we reading this? Like, what is the purpose of any of this? Like you said, there's no connective tissue to his Hitler youth and Nazism, right? Yeah. It would be really interesting if this book was like, look at these parallels, right? He's this shitty, abusive partner because of what has happened to him. But it does not dwell on that at all. No. It's just existing in this moment of him poking her in the eye with his penis. And there's no reflection on that. And we actually find out later throughout the book that like this is Johannes writing it from an older perspective. But there is no self-reflection. There's no kind of looking back and being like, oh, I wish I had done things differently. Yeah, that was one of the biggest, because at one point he writes her poetry. Yeah. And you kind of forget that this is from like a future version of himself reflecting Mm -hmm. back. But at one point he writes her poetry and he's like, oh God, I like cringe to think what I wrote to her back then. Like, oh, it was so terrible. And I'm like, that's the thing that's that you That's the regret? only self-reflection that yeah, you have? that's the one part that you regret about all of this is, like, the poetry you wrote her? Yeah. Like, what What am I supposed to take away from this? The idea that everything else he's doing, he doesn't think about critically at all. Yeah. It's one thing, I mean, obviously we have Jojo Rabbit to contrast this book with, which Jojo Rabbit is, like, a very warm and, like, Overall optimistic story, even yeah. if it does have its moments of bleakness and like sat like uh despair, mm-hmm. but like overall it's like optimistic and hopeful. Uh and then you have this book that it's technically adapted from, and it's just so gross. It's so awful. Just it's creepy. Yeah. It's creepy. Also, it's fucking boring it is really boring it's so boring (laughs) like so much happens and yet nothing happens like the plot at this time like he's running out of money and has to like sell his belongings and then eventually sell the house like that's the plot that's happening right now but it's so like brief and random and we just get these glimpses of what this book could be because the book is also talking about like occupied Austria by the allies. So like there are Russian soldiers, American soldiers, British soldiers, like all these French soldiers um, in Austria, in Vienna, and kind of what life is like at this time. And I'm like, this is the more interesting story. Yeah, at one point he's like in line to get like his rations or his food and he's kind of swindled into buying like a sack of potatoes, but he only has one arm and he can't carry it the whole way home and he tries to sell it, but nobody will buy it. And then like he ends up dumping a lot of them and he gets them home and like half of them are spoiled. And it's kind of this whole sad meditation on like how difficult it is to get by Mm -hmm. but like he is the worst human being on earth and so you don't care no and i don't know (laughs) if the book is trying to like garner sympathy from us because his life is so shitty but like he is the worst human being and i'm sorry but no circumstances that he is currently in can in any way even begin to justify no the things he's doing to elsa it just I just don't know what its point is. I don't either. 
Let's go. Let's go back to the movie. What's happening? Uh, <laughs> actually, the Allies are invading this German city, and so it's kind of like a war zone at this time. Yes, he is briefly reunited with uh, Yorkie. Yes, who tells him that Hitler is dead. Yes, and is wearing a paper uniform. Yorkie, <laughs> <laughs> his paper uniform, and like this has to be a historically true thing. It's got to be that at one point, like Germany was so deprived of money that they made paper uniforms <laughs> and they like fell apart. I haven't like found any evidence of that, but I'm like, it feels real. I really love this battle scene because. It's very funny in certain parts. You know, we have Yorkie in his paper outfit. Yeah. We have Rebel Wilson handing grenades and guns to, like, children to try to get them to fight. But also, it's we see Jojo in this war zone, and you see women, children, old men fighting, you know, and being killed. And it's just really tragic. Yeah, I mean, you're really getting JoJo's perspective on all of this madness, all of just how sad the situation is. Mm-hmm. At one point, he sees Yorkie kind of like cowering behind a pillar. I And then, of course, he sees Captain K appear mm-hmm. in his... Yes, ridiculous r- r- outfit. Like, eye-shadowed, like, <laughs> feathered... His drag. His drag, yes. It's yeah. genuinely his, like, drag outfit. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just kind of chaos, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a joke. It's a farce at this point that, like, Germany is even, like, trying to hold out. And that they're sacrificing. Like, nobody is going to execute the children or the old people. But, like, they're sending them out to fight regardless. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, I think the movie perfectly captures, like, how absurd it is, how kind of funny it is. Like, the point where Rebel Wilson is, like, handing grenades to children and being like, go give that man a hug. (laughs) Like, you laugh, but it's also just so horrible. It is. And Jojo hides until the fighting is over and then kind of comes out. But he was given a German uniform by Rebel Wilson. Yeah. I love how we keep calling her Rebel Wilson. Um, And he's actually taken with some other prisoners of war. And he's going to be shot. I guess. Yeah. But he's like, he's so young. Would anyone do that? I mean, the kids were fighting, though, right? I I don't know what the, like, rules of war are, though, with, like, executing children. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, But Captain K is here. He is... Definitely injured, and he's waiting to be shot and sees Jojo is here and uses this opportunity to, like, do one last good thing before he's shot. Yeah, he takes Jojo's jacket from him and Mm -hmm. then kind of pushes him away, calls him, like, a dirty Jew. Yeah. And kind of, like, gives him an opening to, like— Get out. Yeah, to leave. And it's it's a really sad moment. And I think it works because, like, we have seen this conflict. It's not like— Captain K has been a piece of shit the yes. whole movie and then is only now redeeming himself. Like, mm-hmm. we've seen that conflict of morality within him, like, the whole story, right? Yeah, and I think in this moment where he knows he's going to die and he has this chance to save Jojo that he's going to take it, you know? Yeah. I think that makes sense and it is very interesting for his character. He goes back to the house and to Elsa and this is where she's like, what's going on? What's happening outside? And he's like... Oh, Germany won the war. I guess you have to stay here. (laughs) And it's so, like, you, like, this movie, like, earns this moment, right? Yeah. Because you've seen their bond, Mm -hmm. right? And you know that he likes her, but you know their bond is just deeper than that in general. Yeah, and he's lonely. And she's all he has at this point. Mm -hmm. And you would get why he would say this, at least in that moment, right? Yeah, 
Uh, but he um, he regrets this almost immediately. <laughs> In like two seconds. Unlike the book, where this goes on and on and fucking on. For years. In the, in the movie, Jojo, I love him seeing this picture that she drew of like a rabbit in a cage. Yeah. And feeling, and being like, I can't keep her locked up, you know? And so he ends up actually confessing his love to her. Yeah. In a very sweet moment. I love when he's like, I love you. I know you think of me as just a little kid. Is it hot in here? <laughs> <laughs> God, he's so funny. He's yeah. such a good actor. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he tells her all of this. Mm-hmm. And he, then he has his final scene with Adolf, of course. Yes. In his room, Adolf confronts him. <laughs> and I love that a- Adolf is like, because he, he knows he's dead, like the real Hitler. Yeah. And so he appears to him in, I think, the outfit that he actually died in. He's got like a gunshot wound. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he starts berating Jojo and like getting on his case mm-hmm. and he, he, like trying to like, he's lashing out, trying to like, take him back right yeah he's like hile me come on come on hile me again a little hile (laughs) and this moment is so great jojo is finally just says fuck off hitler and (laughs) kicks him punts him through the window i mean it's so violent it's so ridiculous yeah it's so very fitting for his imaginary hitler friend yes to finally banish him for his life from his life as he's taking this decision to come clean to Elsa about the truth to set her free. And so he tells her that he has a plan to escape. This is where she tells him that Nathan is dead. Yeah. Um, but they go outside. He ties her shoelace, Ian. He does. He completes his arc, Adina. He completes the arc of the movie, he ties her shoelace, and brings her outside. And she can see that, obviously... Germany has not won the war. There are a bunch of American flags everywhere. <laughs> I love that she slaps him. I know. And he's like, yeah, no, I, I get it. <laughs> and I love this moment. I feel like this was a line I didn't fully get the first time we watched it. But because earlier, he Jojo asks her, what will you do if you get your freedom back? And she says, I want to dance. Yeah. And so in this moment, he asks, what do you want to do now? And then on their doorstep, they just kind of start like dancing. Mm-hmm. It's so sweet. And of course, we get David Bowie's heroes, heroes playing the, a German version of it. Yeah. And it's just a very joyful, beautiful, mm-hmm. uplifting way to end the film. Truly. And yeah, it, it's, it's so it's, good. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I hate to bring us back down. <laughs> I hate to have bring us it down. come crashing back down to earth <laughs> into a pit of despair. But uh, let's get back to the book. Yeah. In the book, uh, Johannes has run out of money so much that he has to sell the house. And so he's like, I found an apartment for us to live in. I have to put you in a trunk to move you to the apartment. Yep. Curl up, get in this trunk. And at one point he thinks he lost the key, but they they get there. He lets her out. And now they're in this new apartment. She still thinks that Germany won the war. Yeah. Uh, There's a line that it has been four years since the end of the war. So at least probably one or two years of her being in their house. Yeah. So that's like six years of this like twisted, fucked up, really disturbing relationship going on. And I'm like, I have no sense of time. And Elsa probably doesn't either because it just feels endless. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's just one 
bad thing happening after another. I right? know, I know. It's like his mom dies. He finds out his dad died at the work camp. Yeah. Uh, his grandma dies. Mm-hmm. They're losing money. He, he has to sell the house. He can't get a job. He sells the house. Uh, his relationship is terrible. Yeah. They just keep making themselves miserable and each other miserable. And they get a cat. And Johannes is literally jealous of the cat so much that he neuters the cat. Uh, at one point, she is petting the cat. Yeah. And he's like, uh, she's purposely exposing its genitals to me. Yeah. Insanity. Uh, you cannot make this up. Unhinged. I have to read another part. I just have to. I'm sorry. It's the only way you'll understand. She like floods the apartment one day. And then he goes downstairs to try to figure out what's going on. And then all his neighbors come up in the apartment. And I just have to, I just have to read this. I hadn't finished my sentence before they began gathering rags and buckets. Then before I could protest, they charged upstairs and barged into my flat with me following in their wake. By then I thought it must be dreaming because Elsa had positioned a chair in the center of the West Room. Her straight, stiff posture spoke for her. She had every right to be sitting there, fully naked, her hair dripping, her bounteous breasts resting on her bloated belly, her bloated belly on her pudgy lap, pudgy enough to be concealing the most scandalous. Her hands crossed on her dimpled knees like an obedient schoolgirl, though her toes, pink, plump, wrinkled like ten little piggies. There was another contradiction in her pose, for her head hung down sharply, as if she were a trifle ashamed for having disobeyed. I mean, what? What is that? Why does he talk so much about her being fat? Because at some point, when they were still living at the house, he started, like, spending more money on good foods for her, right? And, like, sweet foods. And he talked about, like, how she was gaining weight and her complexion was looking bad because of all the, like, bad foods. But, like, he was still doing it for her. Uh, And then, like, so, so much of the book after this is just fat shaming her. Yeah. I just, Adina, we have a character a woman, a Jewish woman in World War II yeah. who has to hide to save her life and not be killed. And this is the way the book treats her. Yeah. For like 250 pages. Yeah. It just gets worse. It makes her out as gross, unappealing. Fat, whorish. Mean. Mean. It's just really, really, really disturbing. Like, I can't explain how much I hate this book. <laughs> I mentioned it before, but a year ago we read Legally Blonde. Yeah. Which ended up being our worst book of the year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, and I think we said during that episode, I was like, have we already found our worst book of the year? Yeah. And we just talked about in, talked about it in our 2022 recap. Yes. Have we read the worst book of 2023 already? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, what is with starting out the year with a horrible book, Ian? Well, and here's the thing, too, is that I don't even like the prose, like the way it's written. No, it's I think that's bad. But like, it's more competent than a lot of books that we read. Yeah. I mean, Legally Blonde was just shittily written. Yes. Like it had no editor. Like it was like a self-published, just awful book. Yeah. But it was short and it went by quickly enough. Even more than the writing of this book, it's the contents. I know. It just made me feel so gross and sad and upset. Like, just lingered with me. I didn't like it. No. Uh, God, let's just let's just power through to the end. Um, <sighs> he he tries to tell her the truth at least one more time. And she's like, don't. Don't tell me the truth. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. Like, <laughs> Like, it, it, once again, 
The book is, like, giving every excuse to Johannes as to, like, why he isn't telling her. Like, yeah. he tries to tell her, like, three times. And each time, she's the one to be like, don't tell me whatever it is you're going to tell me. Yeah. Uh, their sex life is weird and awful. She, like, just humps his leg yeah. at night to get off. And maybe sometimes he gets to hump hers. Yeah. That's that's love, guys. That's something. <laughs> that's something, all right. Yeah. And then he... In this really weird joking moment, confesses the truth to her. Finally. And then the next day, she's gone. She, like, pries the door open and leaves. Because mm-hmm, he was locking the door. Yes. Behind him. But, like, the book genuinely, at least to me, felt like it was implying that maybe she did know. Yeah. Right? Like, I know. you get that sense that, like, she doesn't want to be told. She doesn't want the excuse of knowing but maybe a part of her knows. Yeah. And she doesn't want to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's insane, but, you know, that's something. But then at this point, that seems to go back on that. I know, with her just leaving. And she's like, oh, really? Oh, okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna run away. <laughs> yeah, and Johannes is like, okay, I'm going to get her back. I'm going to write this really great memoir, and then I'm just going to distribute the papers in the city, and she'll find it and come back to me. Uh, also at this point, he is so poor and low on money, he divides his already small flat into another apartment mm-hmm. that he rents out. And the book kind of ends with him writing his memoir, being alone in this tiny box of an apartment. And mm-hmm. it's kind of drawing the connection that he's in a similar position to... That she was. That Elsa was in, although it still can't be anywhere near as bad. No. But the idea that he's kind of living in this cage that he's built for himself at this point in his life. But also, it's not bad enough, Adina. He deserves so much worse. He does. Yeah, you know, I feel like we're really going to have to struggle to decide which one we like. Yeah. (laughs) I can maybe be convinced of either or. I don't know. I mean, without a doubt, it's the film. Yeah. The movie is... I liked it even more on a second viewing, honestly. Same, yeah. It, it, it's it's so funny. It's thoughtful. It manages to both tackle, like, the absurdities of this ideology, but also the seriousness of what it mm-hmm. means and the repercussions of that. Yeah. I have, like, a couple minor gripes, but, I mean, the performances, the humor, the... And, and Taika Waititi's great behind the camera, too, For right? For sure. He gets a lot of jokes visually mm-hmm. or through, like, sound... Um, you know, it's not just a, oh, we're going to just improvise and joke the whole time and then just yes. like a Judd Apatow film. Like he yeah. really uses the camera effectively. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's a fantastic film. Yeah. Nuanced. Yes. And then this is just, what if everything was awful all the time? <laughs> I'm still convinced when his mom told him about the book, I'm positive she was only halfway through it. I know. Like, I don't think she had I'm finished like, did it. Did Taika read the whole book? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. He, like, he probably, he probably did. did. Yeah. But I don't think it probably influenced him. Because he already had his vision. Right? Yeah, I think he already knew. Like, the fact that he mentioned, oh, my mom told me about this story. Yeah. Like, I kind of think he didn't want anything to do with the actual substance of the real book. Mm-hmm. This kind of brings up an interesting discussion, though, that, like, what, like, This is technically an adaptation, right? Yeah. But to what end? Yes. Like, he took the main, the loose plot points. But if anyone read this book after watching the film with any expectation of it being similar, Mm -hmm. is going to be devastated. If they even finish it, which I I doubt it. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I wouldn't have finished this if it wasn't for the podcast. No, I would recommend that you do not read this. <laughs> I can't think of a book I'd recommend less than this, yeah. honestly. Yeah. But, like, I, it's not that I don't think the book deserves any credit for the film. As but, being, like, it got published in the U.S. and did it deserve to be? No! No! It's trash! It's awful! Yeah. I don't, it's just an interesting thought about, like, what it means to, like, you can write a garbage book, mm-hmm. and then someone who's better at storytelling, better at, like, art or whatever, takes, like, the bare bones of what you kind of came up with and yeah. makes something that's great. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, you kind of don't deserve any credit. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ian and I have famously disagreed with the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay in this category in this year because Greta Gerwig was also up for Little Women as Best Adapted Screenplay, which we did an episode on, so you can listen to that if you're interested. But, like, she really took the source material and made it into something unique. But, like, to be fair, Taika did the same thing with this. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what your criteria for Best Adapted Screenplay is. If it's for, like best improvement yeah then obviously this should win Mm -hmm. but i mean what greta gerwig did with little women was like retain the essence of what people loved about that book and then recontextualized a lot of it yeah bringing in aspects of um the author's life so i i think the point and what i'm trying to say is they both did a really amazing job with the material they had and made it into something new true but like what taika had to do was like he was given a brief summary yeah with plot points and then just did his own thing Mm -hmm. which like credit to him he did a great job yeah but like the restrictions on what he had to adapt was way less like restrictive (laughs) (laughs) like Greta Gerwig with Little Women was like okay there's all these key scenes that people love and and things that like and characters that I have to retain but like yeah stay true to these elements but like Taika could just do whatever he wanted because no one knew what this book was or gave a shit. Yeah. And for good reason, too. (laughs) It's just interesting to compare them. It is interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think he does deserve credit for changing this story. I mean, I will say, next to Greta Gerwig, I am so glad he won. Yes. uh, For this year, Mm because he's just a phenomenal actor and director and storyteller in general. And Yeah. uh, He really made... (laughs) Uh, something from less than nothing. Yes, it's definitely a movie from both of us. Go out there and watch the movie and do not even think about reading the book. (laughs) (laughs) Not even for a laugh. If you want me to read that gynecologist bit, I'll read it again. Don't do it. (laughs) Just play it on loop. (laughs) Let's do lightning round. Let's get into lightning. Okay, so first off for lightning round, I have to mention something from the book that just is so weirdly inserted and makes no sense. Uh, This is when... Uh, Johannes's grandmother is still alive and Elsa is hiding upstairs. Randomly, two men show up at their house and they're like, hey, we're allied soldiers. You're, here's a paper that says you have to take us into your house. And they're like kind of Polish or something. And Johannes and his grandma are like, okay, whatever. And they just hang out in the house and then go to work. And the grandma kind of gets them to help her paint the house and yeah. like clean and do some plumbing. And then later... A bunch of people come to pick them up and they're like, oh, they're Russian soldier deserters. We have to bring them back to Russia. And then they send them back to Russia. And that's. And I'm like, why did we it. have this? Yep. There was no fear. Like, there was no, like, tension about them finding Elsa or anything like that. It was just like, oh, they're here. Oh, they're gone. 
there's so many things in this story that thematically tie into nothing else. I know. I feel that way about like all the religious talk at the beginning. Yeah. None of this book is about God. It's not brought up again. No. (laughs) Uh, I have to mention a scene from the movie that is like very funny that I love, which is that uh, Jojo is walking around the city in this ridiculous (laughs) robot outfit. Oh, yes. See a battery. I kind of forget now. To get like uh, metal scraps or whatever. Yes. And at one point, there's just this shot that's like pulled back that shows like three other children (laughs) in like various cardboard outfits just like roaming the streets. It's so funny. I love it. I like that too. There's so many moments in this movie that I'm sure I'll be like, oh, I forgot to mention how funny this part was, but there's just jokes for days in this. Yes. I want to mention a couple other scenes from the movie too. When, um, uh, Jojo is talking to Adolf, and this is after he first discovers Elsa. And I love that Adolf is like, oh, she's like a female Jewish Jesse Owens. <laughs> 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 kind of referencing Jesse Owens being this very famous kind of symbol of like resistance to Germany at the time. Yeah. Winning the Olympics in, in 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 races at this time, and this being like kind of a fuck you to Germany. And him kind of being like, she's a female Jewish Jesse Owens. <laughs> I'm sure Taika, like, I don't know what lines are improvised and which ones were written, but I'm yeah. sure he just had like a million yeah. for like every scene that he was probably just throwing out there. I also just want to mention how Adolf is constantly offering Jojo cigarettes. Yeah. And at one point, Jojo is like, stop offering me goddamn cigarettes. <laughs> he just keeps flipping the case open yeah. to Jojo. It's great. Uh, another part of the book that is just so weird and inserted and random and like without explanation, when they discover Elsa naked, right? Mm-hmm. The one neighbor is quick to like cover her up. Yeah. And Johannes is like, oh my God, he's sleeping with her. <laughs> They're having an affair together. It's so obvious. <laughs> it's obvious to everyone. And I'm like, what? Is this? Is this real? Or is he just paranoid? Yeah, is he just like imagining it? Yeah, they don't come back to Never, that. no, <laughs> not even, not even for a moment is it like acknowledged later. Yeah. Well, that's lightning round. And now we are done with this book, Ian. We can put it behind us. Uh, yeah. This is one of the worst ones <laughs> we've ever had to go through. Yeah. Just, I mean, just, just sad yeah just bad just bad i had to listen to this on audiobook (laughs) i just needed it like force fed yeah to me (laughs) i just needed it running through my head and i was like paying attention but also sometimes i'd maybe zone out a little bit just because nothing happens in this book for so long (laughs) but it's a great movie it's so good so very a very interesting episode hopefully you enjoyed it thank you for listening and if you'd like to become a patron and request an episode you can do that we also have bonus episodes we just did one on our 2022 wrap-up where we discuss all of the episodes that we did in 2022 and kind of rank our favorites, ones that we were surprised by, things like that. It's a really fun episode. So if you want access to that episode and tons of other bonus episodes, just become a patron. Yes. And if you can't become a patron, please give us a positive rating on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other application you're listening to us on that allows for reviews. It helps with our algorithm, with our rankings, us appearing to other listeners, that sort of thing. Yeah. If you want to follow us on social medias, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those good, all, all that good stuff. You can find <laughs> that at 
coveredercredits.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you again for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.